Okay, so we'll make this Come Follow Me New Testament, week 20, C, just so we can get in John 12, which I think is uh, beautiful and important. Um, it starts with, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Sequentially, this is right after that. Right? There isn't the big break. We, we've gone around about reading some other things, but this is right after that. Um, there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. That nard is the plant, spike nard is the ointment you make from the plant. Anointed Jesus' Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try and put into a useful form, maybe PDF or something like that, the, uh, the comparison uh, that, you know, the the Excel spreadsheet <laughs> that just kind of compares these, the four accounts of this anointing. And I think you'll see that there's there's one anointing, not four, but they're told in different ways and there's common elements and different elements. In my view, this is another one of these many instances of John coming back and clarifying the other Gospels. Mark is written first. Um, and I really do think by, at least originally, by Peter's missionary companion, John Mark. But of course, he wasn't a first-hand witness. Um, Matthew copies Mark, so we basically get the same thing. Luke has very different uh, priorities and objectives and uh, a Greek audience that doesn't understand a lot of things, uh, so he doesn't speak to a lot of the same things. Um, And and, uh, he's gathered up a lot, a lot, a lot of stories. I think John comes back here, like he does so often, and uh, and gives us the inside story, the things that only he um, would have known about. And, and the fact that he comes back and says that this was Mary that does this anointing, I think is significant. Now, um, John doesn't know that we won't know that Mary Magdalene and the Mary that's at Bethany, that they're not the same person. They are. To him, it's obvious, and it's been obvious to well, to the Catholic Church for until the 1960s. They had uh, the same feast day. Um, Mary Magdalene, um, Martha, and Lazarus all had one feast day they shared until the 1960s when people... And I don't know what was going on there with the Catholic Church, why they decided that. It's true, you can't prove it, that they're the same person. Uh, but they are. <laughs> uh, I think it's kind of the obvious conclusion. Um... Well, so so what kind of things? Um, you know, uh, in, in each of the accounts, um, well, in three of the accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, it's just before Passover. Uh, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, and John is before Passover. Luke places it early, as I think we've said before, um, early in the ministry, and it doesn't really say where, but but we assume, just based on the time frame, that it's in Galilee. 
Whose house? Well, then Luke at Simon the Pharisee, and Matthew at Simon the leper, and Mark at Simon the leper, and in um, and in John uh, twelve is where Lazarus was. We presume his house. And, and why shouldn't it be Lazarus' house? Um, every indication is that they were rich, um, and would have a house where you could have a feast. <laughs> um, we uh, we learned in Luke seven that Mary Magdalene um, was wealthy and was a supporter of Jesus' ministry early on, along with Joanna, the, the wife of Pharaoh, or of uh, um, the chief steward of Herod. So these were not no account people, these were rich people. Um, in in the, what's called the secret gospel of Mark, which I think very plausibly, and a lot of Latter-day Saint uh, scholars think so, um, reasonably, the uh, this this quote unquote secret mark, a few passages of which are preserved in the writings of Clement of Alexandria, um, and better than that, it was lost. Probably the earliest version of Mark um, that actually contains a account of Jesus raising Lazarus, and it specifies that he was that he was rich. Um, so. Um, Putting this together, um, and, and a lot more. I mean, they, they use the same thing. They use a uh, it's an alabaster box with uh, ointment of this spike nar. The actions are different, right? Um, anointing the head and the body versus the feet and wiping with their hairs. Either way, this is a very daring thing for a woman to do if she's not uh, directly related to Jesus. A scandalous thing, um, which maybe is why Luke. Uh, gets her called a sinner, and then the conversation swirls around that. Um, in uh, in Luke, it's Simon, Simon the Pharisee, that complains about what's going on. Only as he's complaining about her, not about the, the ointment. In Matthew, it's the disciples, and Mark, it's some, some, I guess, some people. But in John, it specifies that it's Judas, <laughs> Judas is the one that complains about it. And then he goes out, uh, you know, to, to betray Jesus in, in Matthew, Mark, and John. Right? The purpose is interesting because there's no real purpose given in Luke, but in Matthew, Mark, and John, the purpose is for Jesus' burial. Oh, this is so important. I mean, you know, why why does um, this, this woman um, anoint Jesus why in particular would Mary, quote-unquote, of Bethany, there, there is no such person, but why would why would this woman, this non-specific Mary, anoint him? And then it's Mary Magdalene that shows up and actually brings the brings the stuff to the tomb, right? I mean, that, that would be silly, right? It, it's obviously her. Well, we'll leave that for the moment um, and, and go back to um, to John 12. I, I love this because the... the uh, the, the leaders want to kill Lazarus. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Because this was no secret. This was now, you know, a verified thing. Even the Pharisees had their representatives there to, to you know, testify of it. Amazing. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and believing in Jesus. And then, of course, in the next couple of verses here, Jesus' triumphal entry, who's going to be doing the shouting? Uh, verse 17, So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. 
It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. So Jesus' triumphal entry is a lot about Lazarus. So the Pharisees want him dead. <laughs> the Pharisees then said to one another, you see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Then uh, some Greek people want to see Jesus, and then he says in verse 24, Very truly I say, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Um, I like this as an as a example of Jesus becoming our the, the, the father of our salvation. Right? He's the fruit of life. Okay, to the Hebrew mind, a grain is a wheat grain or rye or whatever is the fruit of life. That's fruit too. Right? Um, but the fruit dies, and thereby is planted, sprouts up, and we and we grow on his stalk or vine, depending on the, the metaphor. Right? Um, so if I you know unless unless I die, I remain single, which is fascinating. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. So, you know, we don't get out of this without the full measure of sacrifice, too, because we're, if we're going to be servants of Jesus, we have to be where he would be, uh, doing and suffering what he would suffer, right? We're saved, if so be, that we suffer with him, in the words of Paul. 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Um, I, I like the, I like that Jesus' soul is troubled. I am glad to be able to relate to that, that he's not um, Superman, untouched by our cares and troubles and worries and anxieties. Am I tough enough to fulfill the assignment that God's given me? I mean, I worry about that all the time. I imagine you do too. No, it's for this reason I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Um, when when did the Father glorify Jesus before? Um, glorify his, his own name through Jesus. And I think there's a lot of possibilities for this, but the one that, that comes to my mind especially as the Mount of Transfiguration. I think also at the baptism, right? These public things where a voice comes and some special sign is given. Well, the Mount of Transfiguration wasn't public, but it was testified of, put it that way. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. I love this. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now, this is the way that I think about Third Nephi, right? They hear the voice from heaven three times before they understand. And and I just kind of imagine that first voice is just like the rumble of distant thunder, right? And not much more than that, not much more intelligible than that. And there's something about us um, paying attention and getting quiet <laughs> and um, and, and um, being, being ready. To understand even a voice from heaven, you'd think you'd think that the God would be smart enough, and uh, you know, able to make us understand His words. Mm, evidently not. 
That's what it seems. So he speaks to Jesus. Some understand it. Others don't. Some even think it's just thunder. Right? <clears throat> now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. Who's that? Of course, that's Satan, the god of this world. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. And I think this is important. Going all the way back to, oh, you know, really to Adam, um, but uh, in the in the scriptures that other people would accept uh, to Isaiah, um, that, that it had to be by crucifixion, right? And crucifixion, of course, was known all the way back there. Um, Tricky people that love to torture people have known about this being a really, really miserable, slow way to die. Uh, fascinating that humans have concentrated on so so much of that. How can we inflict the maximum misery um, until we just finally, until finally they just die? It's amazing that humans think about such things and practice them and perfect them. I feel sad. <laughs> And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So, um, you know, so they think the Messiah is going to come in triumph, which you know he will, but not this time. Um, and it makes you may also think of Joseph Smith, how he had escaped. So many times, so many attempts, uh, that his friends, his followers, thought he couldn't be killed. And of course, that wasn't true. Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so you may become children of light. I see this as, as a way of saying, okay, here I am. Better kindle my light in your hearts pretty quick so that you won't have to walk in darkness. Uh, this next little section it makes it sound like because Isaiah prophesied it, uh, God makes it to be so, right? After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. Although he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so they could not believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, so that they might not look with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Well, they're not saying that. <laughs> Isaiah prophesied it, so you're not allowed to believe. Uh, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a manner of speaking that just kind of comes out wrong to us. <laughs> um, it happened... Uh, because, you know, well, Isaiah spoke it because God foreknew it, right? Um, and, and it's not that hard to predict anyways, <laughs> right? <laughs> we, could, we could have predicted that. Uh, Isaiah said this because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. Now, as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, uh, Nicodemus, hello. And, and it's fascinating because John portrays Nicodemus, I think, very favorably. This is a guy that's iffy at first, like so many, but he comes around in a pinch. He's there, craving the body of, 
of Jesus and making provision for it, bringing a king's burial uh, for it, and so forth. Uh, so, so even Nicodemus <laughs> uh, loves human glory more than the glory that comes from God. This is a little harsh. Maybe it's true. Okay. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And we've seen this theme over and over again. Jesus wants to make sure that we understand. It's not him, it's the Father. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Okay, now this is going to be a time when he does come to judge the world, at least in part. Right? Um, the one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as a judge. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. So, again, there's that, um, oh, that cascade of authority. And then that reverse cascade of exaltation, of acceptance. And if we accept Christ's emissaries, we accept Christ, we accept Christ, we accept the Father, we accept the Father, we inherit all that the Father has. Well, that tidies up um, John chapter 12, and we'll see you next week.